This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read Bewitched by Isla Fisher, and I read War Heaven by Mac Maloney. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here once again to bring you two terrible books that we got each other to read. This time, they're both on paper. They're both hard copy books. I know. We didn't get them from the library's ebook section. Yeah, it has been a minute. Instead, uh, I got Susan War Heaven uh, from my childhood bookcase. And she'll have to tell me just how appropriate this book is for a child to have on their bookcase. Whereas uh, I got Bewitched from Susan, which is, I don't know if it's appropriate either. I'll talk about it. Oh, interesting. But, yeah. I found Bewitched because I recently read an anthology of 80s and 90s teen literature. And one of the chapters was about celebrity cameos. And so uh, I read a brief description in that book about Bewitched by Isla Fisher and decided that Mick needed to read it. I also felt like I owed you one because last time (laughs) I got you the longest, most terrible book in existence. And so I figured I'd make it up to you by getting you one that is, I think, less than 200 pages with big font. Gigantic font. Uh, 197 pages with absolutely gigantic font. Yeah. So um, I, I do have to say, though... I still finished my 500-page book before you finished All this right. one. All right. Well, uh, who gets to read it? It's lunch. And it's better and faster to read. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had to read Bewitched, uh, nominally by Isla Fisher, star of Home and Away and The Seven Network. Uh, she I've later... never heard of either of those Well, she's things. Australian. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. she's, she's an Australian uh, teen beat, you know, uh, Saved by the Bell kind of actress. Got mm-hmm. her start on is what I, I assumed these shows were, just judging by the picture of her and the time period in which this is written. Yeah, she has extremely 90s Sabrina the Teenage Witch looking hair. Yeah, uh, she later, of course, parlayed that Australian TV show into the crazy lady in Wedding Crashers, and then uh, her career took a, a bad turn as she helped to make uh, Now You See Me one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Ooh. Yeah. And you watch a lot of mystery science theater. Oh, well, of course. It was like competently made unlike those movies, but it was just really bad. Turns out it doesn't make any sense. There's this word I heard of recently, and I think we're going to really need to insert it into this, this, uh, Mm -hmm. this, uh, this project. Yes. Uh, and that's fridge logic because supposedly, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Alfred Hitchcock said, no one will notice the plot holes until they're at home taking the frozen chicken out of the icebox. Like, you you watch it and you get so wrapped up in it yeah. that you don't think to question it. Um, and so books don't allow you to have that, especially reading them with a critical eye like we are, don't always allow you to have that fridge logic. And so it's more to the point. But uh, the, the Now You See Me has one of the worst cases of fridge logic ever, except it's bad enough that since the last, like, 15 seconds of the movie, it, it ends on that. And so turns out the guy who's chasing them the whole time for the FBI was the one helping them. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It was really bad. Anyway, Isla Fisher uh, supposedly wrote Bewitched. Uh, she's, a, she's a teen beat actress. Uh, and so she wrote it with 
Elspeth Reed. And it's like, oh, with a name like Elspeth Reed, no wonder you have to be a ghostwriter who doesn't get your name on the front cover, you know? So I don't believe Isla Fisher wrote uh, this book, but if I ever get the chance to interview her, which obviously is not a high, how funny do you think it would be if you're like, so anyway, tell me about your, your current project. She's like, well, you know, when you come right down to it, I can't do an Australian accent, but when you come right down to it, it's about family. And I really think that New York is the fifth character in it. And you're like, cool, cool, cool. Anyway, tell me about Bewitched, the novel you wrote in 1995. Like, <laughs> that's some hot wings level uh, or hot ones level uh, yeah. research right there. So anyway, you wrote a series of teen beat novels. Um, she was born in Oman, the Sultanate of Oman, which I think is uh, really interesting as a, as a little bit of trivia. She was the last non-Arab person to be born there. So, this is Isla or This is Isla Elspeth? Fisher, yeah. Interesting. Oh, I don't know anything about Elspeth Reed. I assume he goes, <laughs> with a name like Elspeth. That's <laughs> quite... Uh, but, uh, my big question for Bewitched is, who is this for? And we'll get into that a little bit, but I read this book quite early on the, uh, usually it takes me up until, like, the day before we record to finish our book, uh, but the universe really wanted me to read this because our power went out again, uh, for about three hours, mm -hmm. four hours, and so I, uh... The power in our neighborhood just loves not working. Yeah. Really loves it. Really loves not working. Uh, so I went outside... And started reading this book uh, while our fridge was dying. Um, so, this book is about uh, ballerinas and ballerinos uh, <laughs> that uh, are going to go from Australia all the way to the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow because of reasons, because that's the famous one. Um, one interesting thing about this book is it has the best explanation of how Russian names work I've ever seen. I've read three quarters of Crime and Punishment and like a quarter of Anna Karenina and I still had no idea what the hell was going on with Russian names. It still doesn't have like the, the nickname where like Alexei is Sasha. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense about that one. But it does have an explanation of the first name and then why it's like Alexandrovich uh, because that's apparently son of is Vich. And so they, they, okay, that makes sense. their like middle name is more often used than their last name and it's like Stefan son of Alexandro. Uh, yeah, and so if you're a lady Stefanova, you'd be daughter of... Inge, yeah. okay, that makes so, a lot of things about uh, Anna Karenina that makes some more sense. Yeah, so <laughs> they use middle names more often than they use last names and hmm. all that sort of stuff. Um, so Valentina is a talented young dancer whose mother, uh, Madame Galliano, is the director of the like dancing academy that she goes to in Sydney, Australia. Uh, and so she's an amazing dancer that has always been about like, oh, you need discipline and you need to work all the time. Mm -hmm. And very clearly just like the control freak stereotype because her mother was an accomplished dancer before some scandal <gasps> kicked her out of Moscow oh, no. and she went to Australia. Did you what the scandal was? Yeah, she had an extramarital affair with a, uh, Roma, person of Roma descent, or as this mm -hmm. book loves to call them, gypsies. Yeah, don't use that word. That's not, that's not a good <laughs> word to use. Um, so... She is confronted by an odd man at the beginning, uh, backstage, and then shakes it off to go uh, to Moscow with Ben, the surfer ballerino that she is dancing with in the ballerina interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. Okay. And so they're going to go to Moscow for showing off reasons why from Sydney to Moscow and not like, you know, other places, but Mos yeah, you know, Russian ballet is yeah. the, the heat. Anyway, so we're with... Uh, 
Valentino, uh, Ben, and Ben's sister, who is like the typical 90s wild child, sort of like new agey sort of thing. Uh, and the sister has pierced nipples, we're told. Uh, and then people on the plane get very drunk, and it describes Valentina's uh, high breasts and nice hips and everything. And I'm like, okay, well, this isn't feeling like it's for 14-year-olds Yeah, anymore. that doesn't really seem like young teen lit, which I feel like most 80s, 90s teen lit was for, like... Yeah, yeah, the Babysitter's Club. 12 to 15 year olds. Yeah, and so uh, there's like drunk people on the plane and they fall asleep on her and wild child uh, uh, sister and everything. So we're beginning to kind of get who is this for. Uh, one clear thing does place us in the 90s and that is of course when she takes a shower, she uses banana conditioner. Yeah, that's extremely 90s. I have a lot of things to share in my book that were also extremely 90s. Very good. So, yeah. Um, so she, the plane takes a left turn instead of going to Moscow, uh, lands in the in Hungary, and then they're going to take a trip, take a train through Ukraine into Moscow. This takes place in 19, like it was written in 1995, and I assume it takes place in 1995 as well. Um, so it's actually like, a really really cool setting that they're in the just opened like just done soviet union uh like it, we're into russia and ukraine instead of just the other places but at the same time corrupt corruption is running running rampant like mm -hmm. architecture hasn't been exactly uh changed yet and so it was a really really cool setting for a really not that cool book uh that really taught me about how much a setting can do for you uh, that if is, you are able to use it that is really interesting and i'm sure speaks to the competence of the ghostwriter but like that is really interesting that that is the setting for this particular yeah, so once book again, who's yeah. this for what australian 14 year old or 13 year old was like oh you know it'd be such a romantic place to go post-communist russia, russia. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was pretty interesting they didn't do the best amount of research i don't think into it because it is four years after the fall of the soviet union and statues of lenin are still everywhere like just staring all the time everywhere mm -hmm. and it's like uh they took those down yeah, pretty I was fast say those, those would have been gone by that point <laughs> yeah if you go to the statue graveyard you know goldeneye the James Bond movie? That's another one. I know that, of it. That's another one that takes place in immediately post-Soviet Russia. And it's also really cool. I think post-Soviet Russia deserves more, uh, fewer Call of Duty interpretations and more just sort of like, hey, this was a real weird thing to happen, right? I think it deserves to be a setting more. Anyway, so we're on the train through uh, Ukraine in, into Moscow and the, the uh, train gets stopped. And so they have been flirting with some Russian dancers that they met in Hungary. Uh, and the the border guards in Ukraine take them off and ask to see their papers. But they don't have any papers to be in Ukraine because it was not supposed to happen, right? Yeah, they were, they were supposed, supposed to, to fly to, yeah. to Moscow. Um, and so there's like the guard, the head guard with like the terrible teeth and the surfer boy like gives him the sunglasses and uh he like lets him go and then they get back to the train he's like oh man i had to bribe him with my ray-bans or something like that and then it turns out no actually the russian dancer alexi who's gonna be like the the temptation love interest yeah. rooted through their cabin found some cash and handed it to the guards uh to bribe him to get through which is like <laughs> it's pretty up in the face about like yeah bribes are expected and everyone's cool with not cool with it but like that's just what happens it is yeah it sort of is what it is yeah so i thought that was a kind of a uh so to thank him or not to thank him but like oh he's our hero uh they hang out and get drunk in the the train car 
And once again, like, who's this for that they're just like, it's like, yeah. it's not even like a morality tale that they get drunk. They just sort of get drunk and then sleepy and then. Is this Isla Fisher trying to be edgy? Like the nipple rings and the drinking and all of that. Like, is is this, is this her going through her rebellious phase by writing this book? I don't know. Well, yeah, that's, I'm sure that she's rebelling. <laughs> by, I'm going to rebel by writing a novel. This is in the 1950s. That Come on. kind of seems like some. I don't know, like, 90s teen TV star rebellion, though. Yeah, but I would think that they would, Elspeth would make sure to get in there like, uh, oh, she made an idiot or she peed herself or something like that. You know, some Saved by the Bell, very special episode about drinking. It's like, no, she she took some shots with them and then passed off the ones that she didn't want to her new agey friend who can handle her booze better and... Then they made out a little bit. The, not the French. She and the, the friend? She and Alexi oh. uh, made out a little bit. Uh, and she wasn't very good at it, which is nice because she's like never had a romantic uh, I do appreciate when books are realistic about that. Yeah. Like, no one's that good at making out their first time. Yeah. And then he like fuels her up like in the makeout, not in like a, you know, just sort of yeah. a goose. Like during a makeout session, a, a reasonable amount of feeling up. And she's like, no, I... I that like that's going too fast but like she's really excited but she and then she's embarrassed that she put him off and so Mm -hmm. it's a whole thing um the one thing that i i forgot to say is that in addition to all those statues of lenin hanging around the uh ukrainian border guards keep saying what are you doing in the ukraine you're not supposed to be in the ukraine and here's a helpful tip for anybody traveling through eastern europe don't call it the ukraine it's just ukraine it's just ukraine uh and so they never would have they never would like what are you doing here in the Ukraine? That that would not have happened. Um, so anyway, they get to Mask- Moscow. They part ways with the dancer. And so it is at this point that I said, oh, I bet you anything that Ben, who loves to surf and has is, is mentioned snow skiing or snowboarding, is going to get hurt. And then it turns out that the guy she made out with is like his understudy at the Bolshoi or what have you. She's there without her mom for the first time. So she's going Ooh, wild. Freedom. She's going wild child. Yeah. Um, and so I thought the new guy was going to be better and faster and they were going to fall in love. But then looking back, I should have realized that that wouldn't be the case because there was nothing evil about Ben. He was not bad in any way. He just was like kind of a goofy surfer guy. And yeah. so he, he's not going to get his comeuppance if he's not bad. And so I should have known that actually it was Ben all along that was supposed to be the good one. But I'll get to that as well. Um, then they start to mention things that uh, <laughs> just show that... Uh, more about research um how wonderful she she's at she's in the bolshoi which is admittedly an absolutely gorgeous piece of pre-revolutionary architecture Mm -hmm. Uh, how wonderful she thought comparing them with the angry stone lenin scowling all over red scare the russians must have had their revolution because they were blissed out with too much culture the poor things didn't realize how bad the opposite extreme could be it's like uh no one is sitting here defending the soviet union in this conversation but to say that Oh, we're going to overthrow the czar because our theaters are too pretty. It's like a yeah, that's massive not... miscarriage of historical justice. Also, not really a reason that anyone staged any revolution yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there's there's not a lot to defend for a lot of post-revolutionary governments, but no one ever overthrew the government for little to no reason. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it talks up pre-revolutionary things for being so pretty, but at the same time, if you're coming off the concrete blocks of communism, bleakness, and brutality... Uh, that makes sense, but still, huff my shorts. Uh, Ben gets hurt 
snowboarding, just like I thought. Mm-hmm. Alexi comes in to be her uh, the understudy. Uh, the ballerinas are seen eating a bunch of hamburgers, which is like, <laughs> yeah, <Aww>. yeah, right. <laughs> sad. Um, very sad. Very sad. It's it's terrible for you. At one point, it does. Uh, she does get called, or she does. Uh, have a toe that is bleeding and is made to practice on it still. So at least yeah, I was going to ask that. Is there any reference to like how absolutely brutal ballet is? On yeah, the just dancers? one, and then she's fine. Cool. Um, no one with like completely destroyed feet. Yeah, or like a halted menstrual cycle. Yeah, no, nothing about that. Okay, I'm glad this is a very realistic text. Yeah. Um, Alexi asks her to come practice because he needs to learn his steps. And the one scene that we see them, she enters, they are practicing a scene in which she is dead as Juliet. And so she lays there and gets carried and gets smooched at the end. And then the, the practice is over. So it's like, why did she need to go practice that scene? Like, yeah. you want to make out with her, I get it. But they could have practiced more. They forget to write some stuff in this. Uh, they forget to explain something that happens and stuff like that. But uh, she's also in Moscow. She's eager to find out who her, who her father is because her mom has never told her and her grandma refuses due to her mom's wishes, which is always a great idea when you have an 18-year-old uh, daughter. I feel like this is also a very 90s and early 2000s book and movie trope about, like, finding a lost parent. Yeah. And then making your mom and dad fall back in love despite yeah. having an English-accented twin for some reason. Yep. Um, so there, she invites him back to the hotel they're staying at, and then he, like, climbs in the window to do it, and then they're about to have sex in a consensual, cool way that she bought... He's kind of too charming like it's it's he's too good at it which is supposed to be what throws you off but at the same time she's like he's really hot and i want to jump his bones and bone and so you're like oh cool good for you yeah 18 year old woman yeah and so uh you are a consenting adult yeah and so she's she's free from home for the first time it's basically what happens every single fall um and so then of course ben knocks on the door so the plot required that i break you up oh of Uh, course and the so plot he, required that I become a bad guy. Yeah, but then it stands to reason again, who's this for? Like, I, I know that they didn't get explicit about it, but at the same time, a 13-year-old wants to see people, like, smooching. A yeah. 13-year-old is not, well, especially back in the 90s, maybe 13, 13-year-old have changed uh, by now. That I feel but, like this was written to be, like, marketed towards older teenagers. Who but, have a hard time finishing a full book. Yeah, but also like the the general packaging of it, like the oh, the yeah, it's all pastel cover and the ballerinas. Like, I feel like this is something that if you just read the back of the book, you'd be like, "Oh, this is totally appropriate for my thirteen year old daughter." Yeah. So I feel like the marketing and the content don't really yeah. line up super well. So on his way out from the the boating, he promises he's going to help her find her dad because he can read Krillic, and so he's going to she can speak Russian, but she's bad at reading Krillic, uh, and so. Uh, he's going to help her go to her birth village, which she found out, find the register of birth, and then from there know who her dad is. And so they, they go to do that. He finds out that her dad is like a uh, millionaire in the post-Soviet era because he managed to uh, like basically start smuggling fridges and freezers mm-hmm. in. And now anything that's an appliance like basically has to go through him. Like <laughs> Pretty clearly uh, played the party because it was the only way to make it. Yeah. Uh, then immediately went to, oh, what do you call it when it's a kleptocracy? Like he, he immediately fell into that. So it pretty 
okay representation of the the end of communism in Russia. And so he's the freezer czar. <laughs> um, and so she says, so he is, they're about to see him and she's worried about going to find him. So is he the freezer czar? She wasn't sure she liked the idea, picturing a Lenin-like figure carved from ice. Why is she so obsessed with Lenin? I don't know. But also, you know who least represents the czar? Lenin. Lenin. <laughs> like, that was his whole deal. <laughs> Just great mixed metaphors. It's like... <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm being too specific about a Teen Beat novel, but whatever. Uh, so then Ben hurt his wrist snowboarding, and Alexi's being gross, and Ben doesn't like it, and he of course has feelings for her that of he's never said. Of course, they've he known does. each other since they were kids. He picks her up and twists her around and dances with her at all times, and since they're, I mean, there is something to it that they like are very intimate in a non-sexual way, which maybe he he grew into a romantic and sexual way, and they've always been like mostly naked around each other the entire time because in tight fitting clothing yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i also feel like there are a ton of movies and books about two people that are partners in some kind of activity or job that wind up falling in love like that's a fairly normal trope too for sure um, so nothing terrible about that one, but they go to put on their show and like immediately before the show starts, Alexi grabs her to take her to meet her dad. Cause she wussed out the one time they're in front of the house and the mom is there and she is like terrified because the whole reason that she didn't tell who her dad was is that the dad was a pretty powerful party individual, uh, party member, I should say. And was basically threatening the life of the mom and the, uh, the lover, the whatever. Uh, and so she ran away from Russia because she was worried that she was going to be killed, basically, and arrested or something like that. Uh, and so who is my dad, basically, is what she's asking. He was a young gypsy, a rootless cosmopolitan, sweating over her in the theater while I killed myself to pay for her pleasures. And it's like, sweating over her in the... Who is this for? Yeah. Like... Also, I just want to reiterate, that's not a word that we use. Yeah, gypsy's, uh, it's spelled with an I, which is weird. I've never seen it spelled with a Y. Um, So yeah, who is this for? Then they dance. Uh, We get a scene from Ben's point of view. We get several that just sort of are from his point of view without rhyme or reason as to which ones will be. (laughs) I hate when that happens. I also, is it like consistent throughout the no, book? No, it's just or like. Or is it just like at the end we throw some in there? It's definitely past the like 66% mark we so start dumb. getting Ben. And, and it, it, it sometimes is even within like paragraphs. Like we'll see what Ben is thinking instead. Absolutely not. Yeah, very bad. Uh, and so he is determined to make it with this bum wrist of his. And so he, he gets there. Alexi's running late because he doesn't actually care about the show. He just oh, wants to yeah. bone her. He and just then, wants the girl. Yeah, and then get her to New York where he's going to dance for the New York Ballet or something like that. And so he Ben punches him in the nose and puts the... Luckily, the first scene is a masked b- ball. And so he goes out with a mask on and she doesn't know it's him. And it's like, oh, he was b- dancing better than ever. He just... The way he picked her up, she he must have known her body intimately. And he, she feels feel herself like... falling in love with him even more. I feel like if you had known, if she had known Ben and danced with Ben for years, and if she had almost slept with Alexi, she would have known which one was which, even with a mask on. Yeah, you'd think so. 
if you put a mask on, I would still know if it was you or not. Especially like a masquerade costume mask. Yeah, you know? like I can still see the lower half of your face and oh, the gross. entire the rest half. of your body. Ooh. Especially if I'm wearing tights. Exactly. Uh, so the big thing is that he tried to practice with her with the bum wrist and he felt like he dropped her during a lift because he sprained his wrist. Like, and as, as we talked about last episode, when you you hurt or do something, it's not about pain. It's about like, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. But, uh, oh no, here comes the lift. They're, they were dancing better than ever. It's like, uh, you forgot to tell me if they succeeded on the lift. You forgot to put that into the book. They, they just for- didn't address it? They forgot to say, like, oh, no, here it comes anyway. Oh, so you, no. you you are left to believe that they actually succeeded, but there is no writing I for feel it. like that should be a big dramatic moment for Ben, right? Like, yeah. is this going to happen? Is my wrist going to break? Yeah. Am I going to drop her? Yeah. Was it <laughs> so dumb. Um, then the uh, Alexi goes backstage again with the dad one last time, and the dad and him basically have a dick waving contest about which one is worse for her. Uh, and so weird between um, would be boyfriend and a dad. Yeah. So the the dad uh, Alexi's like, we'll take you away, and the dad's like, I'll put you in, I put you in gulag or whatever. And so Alexi just dips. He does. He's not here for it. And basically. The dad is like, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, fuck both of you. Get out. And so, like, could have been worse, I guess. Yeah. Uh, for the dad, like, I don't really have any emotional atta- attachment to you. You're not my daughter. Uh, and I hate your mom, but it's too late. Like, I can't have you killed now. It's 1995, so just go away. And, I mean, it was gross. And he was like, you know, the freezers are. And he was emotionally cold, too, when you think about it. Oh, yeah. It uh, makes sense. But it could have ended worse. Then they go back that to just all- seems. Such a weird twist to put in. In the fact that this is such a short book, there's a lot of weird things that did not need to be in here. Yeah, it helps when you don't have to actually write the stuff that you set up because yeah. you just don't put it in there. Um, so they get back to Australia, uh, and now she's kind of been freed uh, from her mom's control. Her mom has chilled out dramatically since meeting her the dad for some reason. Like it, it broke some amount of con- like a. Uh, authoritarianism in the mother and now that she's she had her time of independence she's grown into it or whatever um but now now that it's uh oh and the guy she met at the very beginning of the book it turns out that was her dad uh was the the guy that uh was sweating over mom in the in the theater but anyway Uh so mom and dad are back together even though he had been married for like ever since they left but now that we're back in Australia, we need to have our good old-fashioned uh, exposition wrap-up time. Of course. Very uh, important. No way, Valentina grinned, relieved. Look at my jeans. You and Papa. What else could I do? Now that I've met him, I feel so much stronger, more whole. I want to move out so that I can grow up. I've lived under your shadow all my life, terrified to upset you, to displease you, to be unworthy of you. It was that night on the stage at the Bolshoi that gave me confidence in myself. I really understood what I was dancing. I wasn't just a well-trained performing poodle. Uh, so we just need to have explanations oh, here. No. The weirdest thing about this book is that, okay, Ben admits that he's in love with her or some such thing, and she's trying to move out, and he's going to get a house, and so like, oh, come move in with me, and he's a messy dude, and she goes mm-hmm. over and cleans his house, and then he, they do it, it cuts to the fireplace, basically. Yeah. Oh, I'm about to do that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, 
So this is him trying to seduce her. Are you getting ready to seduce me? She giggled. I'm trying oh to God. act like Alexi. He closed the curtains and lay down beside her. You tell me when to stop, he whispered, kissing her neck above the collarbone. Then gently, so gently, she barely noticed he was doing it. He unbuttoned her shirt and released the zip on her skirt, which is also very 90s. That is very 90s. I don't feel like much has zippers anymore. <laughs> yeah. She lay there and closed her eyes, giving herself up to the delici- delicious sensations his fingertips made as they stroked her. Oh, now, gross. that's as explicit as it gets. But I, the first time I was reading this, I thought it was like on her skin as he was like, maybe her stomach or something. I but feel no, like it could, it could be anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is, ooh, ew. Uh, yeah. This is my best friend, my brother, my father, and my lover, she told herself. He what? Is, he is all the men in my life and the only man I need. Oh, no, thank you. She heard herself say, I love you. Gradually, her soul filled up with pure golden sunlight. It was the closest to heaven she could imagine. Afterwards, Ben pulled her closely to him. Have you decided yet? So, have you decided yet is about, like, is she going to live with them? And she still is like, no, not really. Uh, and then he has to have his big speech. I love you, Val. We've known each other since we were children. I know you as well as I know the sea. I love being with you, dancing with you. So dumb. He leaned forward and caught a curl whipping madly across her cheek in the wind. I love the way you imprison your hair on thousands of clips and this bit here always escapes. I love those gypsy earrings. I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love the way you keep little lists around the place and worry yourself silly about forgetting the slightest thing. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. It anchors me. You keep me grounded. Without you, I could drift out there and never stand on solid ground again. The ocean. She thought rapidly, but I hate you taking risks. He stared at her steadily. What will I do? What I do will always be my decision. Ben, I find it so hard to trust the sea, you, my feelings. And so ba- I hate it. And so basically the book ends with him being like, hey, I'm not going to like force you to. I'll be really sad, but I'll get over it. So if you want to like be with me, that'd be, that's your decision. And yeah. he goes off with a surfboard and the book ends with her going, hmm, my decision. The end. So we don't know what happened. No. I suppose that could be a little bit of a, a you know, artistic license that like it, the book wasn't about them getting together. It was about her finding her, her own self-authority, but mm. still... Do you want to know one other thing that I get really annoyed at in Teen Lit, and this is in movies too, is that description of her having sex, presumably for the first time, right? Yeah. Uh, At the very least having an orgasm. Of like, her body filling up with golden, or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it was, but like... I feel like all of those things give people really unrealistic ideas of what it is actually like to have sex for the first time. Like... I hope I I hope it is fun. I hope you have a good time. It is gonna be awkward. (laughs) I feel like that one wasn't full on boating. I feel like that was some third base action. Oh, okay. And he good for her. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. Um. So yeah, who is this book for? Is the biggest part. Uh, Isla Fisher writes a letter afterwards. Oh, good. To the reader. Do we want to read that? I'm not gonna read the whole thing. Thank you, dear reader. Thank you for buying Bewitched. It's also in a different font from everything else in the book. Love it. Yeah, because it's supposed to look like her handwriting. Did you like it? It's more romantic than Seduced by Fame, partly because Mom and I said it in Russia. Mom did the research for me. I've been flat out with Home and Away and could only scribble away in the evenings. I particularly enjoyed writing the horrible Alexei. We've all met nasty characters like him, and we're always taken in by them. Once... When I was small, even smaller than I am now, I took ballet classes and thought myself very romantic. I dreamed of being a dancer when I grew up. Ben, a dancer with the West Australian Ballet, told us more about the life of a professional dancer. I must say, it's about as glamorous as working as a TV soap. Not. 
<laughs> so yeah, I'm working on my next book, Ebony and Amber, about identical twins who are separated at birth. Oh no! One goes on to become an international supermodel. The other, my heroine, is a tall, ungainly, unemployed motor mechanic. You know how identical twins are often different levels of attractiveness? Yeah. Whatever. So lame. So So lame. wait, is Elspeth her mother then? I don't know. Elspeth Reed. Could be. I Isla Fisher, by the way, on every cover and book is always uh, uh, stylized in lowercase letters, which I think is fun. Hmm. Interesting. All E.E. E. Cummings over here. <sighs> so overall... Better than the last one. Better than the last one and much, uh, <laughs> much easier to read and finish, which is good. Much faster. So tell me about something that wasn't, so, well, it's pretty easy to finish, apparently. War Heaven. War Heaven by Mac Maloney. So despite the fact that these are two very different books, this one is 500 pages long with a very small font. It is a war book, so obviously very different in a number of ways from Isla Fisher's Bewitched. Uh, I don't see it. But they both have some... Really, truly very 90s vibes. Um, This book was written in, I believe, 91 or 92. Let me verify that real quick. 1991. Um, And so there are some parts of this where you can definitely tell. Um, Is it those damn Soviets? So there are are some damn Soviets, but really it is uh, other... Folks in the U.S. military that are the big villain in this. Oh one. wow, mm-hmm. we a recurring theme. We have support a, the troops except for the bad troops. We have a um, a secret branch of the military. A secret that, branch. A secret branch of the military. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we start off this book uh, not by introducing ourselves to the setting or the main character or anything really relevant. We start off this book with about a page and a half of just listing a bunch of different planes. What? <laughs> there are so many planes. We are introduced to the F-16 XL Crooked Crank, Arrow. Cranked Arrow. The MIG-29 Fulcrum. MIG. The F-15 yeah. Eagle Fighter. The MiG-27 something. Just... The B-29 Super Fortress. And that is all on page one. Yeah, I'm just... Oh, don't forget about the battle tanks. Oh, sorry. And battle tanks. This book absolutely loves listing planes. I feel like this book would have been several hundred pages shorter if we did not provide so much description and so many names of different planes. And I'm sure the kind of person that would pick up a book at the airport called War Heaven Heaven. is interested in such things. But I, turns out, am not. (laughs) So we are then on page 13, finally introduced to our main character. His name is Colonel Ryder Long. (laughs) And we are introduced to him. I think we need to take a break to really (laughs) let that breathe. Rider Long. Rider Long. Rider Hard. Rider Long. Uh, We are introduced to Colonel Long with a description of his previous exploits, which were detailed in the previous book, Distant Ah. Thunder. Almost a year ago, he'd been part of a top-secret mission called Distant Thunder, whose aim was to destroy a hidden ICBM missile base built in the wilds of Burma by a mad Vietnamese terrorist named Colonel Toon. Wow. So a Vietnamese terrorist went across the French Indochina Peninsula Mm -hmm. to Burma to build an ICBM missile silo 
known for its cheap construction. Yes, and Ryder and his partner DJ Woods had destroyed the missile just seconds before it could reach its critical altitude, thus averting a major catastrophe. And DJ Woods later gave him a high five and said, my man. (laughs) Probably. Almost certainly. (laughs) Almost certainly. Um, So at the very beginning of this book, Ryder Long is (laughs) working on a Top Gun-esque movie. Um, and so they brought in members of the Air Force to, like, basically fly planes for this movie. But he gets pulled off of this assignment, and he finds out that he is getting sent back to war heaven. Uh, he's going to miss out getting to meet Tim Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> Cruise spelled K. C-R-O-O-S. Yeah, the South African <laughs> actor. Um, war heaven is a really elaborate training ground for the Air Force. The elaborate war games inside War Heaven went on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just who was fighting who was determined by the brains of the place. Command Central, known to all simply as C2. Using a top-secret Cray supercomputer, C2 not only ran every operation within War Heaven, it kept score on the various engagements, not unlike a bookie kept bets. Um, So basically, they're doing all of these different simulated war exercises using fake weapons called zoots. Uh, The quest to make the weaponry used inside the War Heaven realistic had culminated in the creation of amazing, highly secret technology known to all as zoot. Uh, So So, basically, it's these fake weapons that can do anything but kill you. So if your plane gets hit by a zoot missile, all of the electronics in your plane stop. As if you've been shot down. As if you've been shot down. But, like, you're not actually going to get hurt. Well, good thing you don't need electronics to fly the plane. Well, not the ones that you have to fly. But, like, you have to land right away. You don't get to keep flying. So, if there's a lot of this fighting going on up in the sky, we can describe it as a zoot shoot riot? Correct. Ride along in the zoot shoot riot. That's right. Um, We also are introduced to our female protagonist, a... um, Buxom blonde scientist... Well, not a scientist, a journalist with uh, the Washington Post, highly respected. She damn uh, did the um, did the expose on Distant Thunder, and then they started sleeping together. But they're not going to make it too serious. They're going to keep things casual mm. because both of them have jobs that, that don't make having a long-term relationship realistic. Uh, she's, don't know that she is po- described exclusively as having well-developed breasts. Nice. This is becoming a thesis of this podcast. <laughs> What's the the least I can say and give you no idea? Uh-huh. She has red hair and well-developed breasts. Oh, and other right than right. that, we have no other information about what Maureen looks like. Ah. Um, also, we then, after being introduced to Maureen, are introduced to more planes. The A-7 Corsair II, the F-8 Crusader, the F-117A Stealth Fighter, the B-2 Stealth Bomber, the Lockhead F-22, the Northrop F-23, the F-120, the A-14, the AV-8 Harrier, the Mach 4 SR-71 Blackbird, the C-130 Hercules Cargo Plane. So many planes. You know how the Air Force is organized so that they just jumble a bunch of planes together? Yeah. Like, they, they definitely don't group similar planes and squadrons. It's just like no, a, it's a just grab a bag. No, it's a bunch of planes. It, it's, junk, it's junk drawer Air Force Base. <laughs> um, we get some more description of War Heaven. So, it is apparently huge. It is in the Nevada desert. Um, but apparently no one knows about it. And there are multiple different towns, essentially. 
Um, they call them FITSEs, full-scale training exhibit environments. Each one mimicked to a frightening degree a potential battleground that elite U.S. troops might face around the world. There was, for instance, the German village. Uh, it featured narrow, twisting urban streets and European-style cookie-cutter houses. Um, there was the Caribbean airstrip. Uh, there's an alpine ski lodge, a black sea fishing village, a small subcontinent-like town filled with wandering cows and large fat scavenger birds. This person played way too much Rainbow Six where they have to have a map <laughs> that is something each time. This there reads was, like a level select on a video game. Uh, 100%. There was even a Fitzy simply called Small City, which is a chillingly realistic recreation of a small American Midwestern town. Uh, then we get more planes, F-15s, F-14s, uh, F-16s. <laughs> We're going up. Um, F-A-18s, an A-6, an A-10, a B-52, a B-1, an E-2C, uh, electronic warfare aircraft, a KC-10 air refuel tanker, a C-130 cargo and support aircraft, a TR-1 recon jet, and a U-2 recon jet. Somebody out there who's like into planes the same way that lots of people are into trains is just rubbing absolutely to this. or furious because they're like <laughs> they don't go together they don't go together that's not how this would go <laughs> um furiously rubbing one out let's let's yeah for sure. on it. thank god we have so much money to spend on the military that is a huge theme of this book <laughs> is how much like and they reference it all the time like Billions and billions of dollars went into this War Heaven training facility and all of these planes. Um, and then a small group of military officers and civilians takes over War Heaven. Uh, they have their own agenda. They're defying direct presidential orders. They're part of a group called the ISC. I've never heard of it, Ryder says. I'm not surprised, Moon said. The vice president doesn't even know about it. ISC stands for the Intelligence Security Committee. It's the most secret of all of our intelligent groups. The people in it were drawn from the other agencies. The CIA, the DIA, the NSA, all of the services intelligence Someone was groups. dead on arrival? They're all supposed to be the best and the brightest. And they took over War Heaven. They're presumed to have gone insane. Um, and they're basically, like, pitting... Some of these groups within war have against each other. They're replacing the Zoot technology with real, like, weapons. And so in this thing that is supposed to be, like, a mock yes. training zone, people are, like, actually dying. Well, it seems like a pretty easy fix once people start dying. Stop flying up there. Stop getting in the planes. Yeah, but they can't, they can't, this group has taken over, so they can't get into war heaven, so they have to infiltrate it. And the only man for the job is Ryder Long. But why me, he asked. There's got to be a hundred other guys who could... Moon held his hand up and once again cut him off. It's you because you're a damn hero, Long, he told him through gritted teeth. You saved the fucking day a year ago and now you have to do it again. It's that fucking simple. I'm like, I'm sure it is. I'm sure that's exactly how the military works. Yeah. Is that every big mission winds up having to be just this one dude. Just the one guy. You got a big swinging cock and that's yeah. what we need for this thing. <laughs> Do you want to hear about more planes? We've heard about how you fuck your girlfriend so good. So it's gotta be you. <laughs> On an F-4 Rhino, a C-130 Hercules, an F-15 Aggressor, an F-15X Eagle, a MiG-29 Fulcrum, an SU-27 Flanker, an F-4 Phantom. 
One guy is described as being built like a rolling fire plug with a wiffle cut close to his skull. And I don't know what any of that means. Like a fire... What? Does that mean they shaved holes in his like his hair? Like you can really curveball his head if you threw it? Built like a rolling fire plug. I don't know what that means. Yeah. With a wiffle cut close to his skull. The 90s were a very weird time. 100%. Um, we then cut to Maureen. Maureen is on an assignment. So she has gone out into the desert where a group of archaeologists are trying to find proof of a downed UFO. Um, like, you know, archaeologists are always searching yeah, for UFOs. They're from the University of Chicago. They're convinced that it's there, so they're going to find mm, it. Nah. Um, one of the archaeologists, the only other woman is a woman named Vanessa. And Vanessa and Maureen have a very homoerotic moment where they, like, slowly take their clothes off to bathe in a creek uh, while talking about the dig. And it's like, this book was absolutely written for straight dudes make up because they like they're just trying to like wash off in the creek but it is like extremely homoerotic it's very very weird um Ryder winds up like infiltrating the isc uh some of oh this was this is like one of the most 90s things about this is the very 90s brand of sexism it's in this book. It's like very 90s military book. Um, so some of the girls that are employed at the base in War Heaven that are there for entertainment um, are described Gross. as being illegally youthful. Gross doubly. 100% gross. Uh, I mean, we Epstein also... had a plane, so this makes sense. Yeah. What kind um, of was it? At four, 428 well, Stan Cow? it could have been a UH-1 Huey, an F-117A uh, stealth Huey is a fighter, a P-51 Mustang, a P-38 Twin Tailed Lightning, a P-47 Thunderbolt, a P-40 Flying Tiger, a Yak-11, a B-17 Flying Fortress, a B-24 Liberator, a B-25 Mitchell, a B-25 Marauder, or an A-20 Havoc. A twenty hammock isn't, but like, why? Why are they flying propeller planes around war heaven? What could a zoot missile? Is that is that why they had to take the actual planes in because the zoot missile could shut down the electronics? So they had to take analog, had to throw it back to the old time. I don't like, think so. But sometimes the old ways are best. Maybe that that probably would have been to pederasty. That would have made for a better book. Uh, Maureen and the archaeologists get kidnapped, uh, most likely by the military. We find too out later they the have, truth. they have, yes, uh -huh. they were too close to the truth. They've been kidnapped by the ISC. They get brought to the ISC base. In Warheaven? Um, in Warheaven, but they don't know that it's in Warheaven because it's on the other side of Warheaven. And so Maureen is given, like, they're like, well, we're, since you're a journalist and you're a really credible journalist, we're going to show you around this place and then we're going to let you out so that you can write about what you've seen. So basically they're showing her very specific things so that she'll go out into the world and write about them. And all of the things they show her are like completely unbelievable because they're all made up. And so their plan is that like she'll go out, she'll write her big expose, no one will believe her and she'll be discredited so that no one will believe that any of this exists. Just kill her. They don't want to do that. Why not? Um, I don't know. <laughs> You're does, asking me to explain the logic of this book, which is not a thing that I can do. Does Ryder Long have a threesome with the Maureen and the archaeologist? Um, no, he does Aww. not. He does not. But he does hook up with several other women throughout the course of the book. 
He's busy. And then also Maureen at the end. But he gets weirdly reassigned, like the ISC assigns him to do an air show. And while he's in the air show, he sees a UFO. So what they saw instead were 18 small ultralight airplanes flying in an incredibly tight V-shaped formation, each with a white, red, or amber light hanging from its belly. To add insult to injury, one of them was towing a sign that said, take us to your leader. Why is this the most stereotypical? Wait. So he thought he saw a UFO, but it was actually several small planes. Or as part of the air show that the super secret branch of the military is putting on for people. Reasons? They faked a UFO. They faked a UFO. That's, yeah. Why, why is he like, oh, yeah, I'll go, you know, the, the people that are shooting everybody down, I'm going to go up in an air show with them. Mm-hmm. This, wow. Because he has to. So they don't suspect him. Um, he then, went up, didn't he have missiles and bombs and stuff on his plane? Probably not during an air show. Yeah, well. Um, so then we go back to Maureen. She is getting this tour of this ISC facility. Um. And they're showing her, like, all of this crazy stuff. Um, And so, let me find... Like, a boy that has antibodies in his body that uh, kills only ethnicities. One of the things that they show her... From a previous episode, I just didn't make that up. What she had seen inside the room was a bed surrounded by banks of medical equipment. Tubes, wires, monitors, pumps. On the bed was the form of an elderly man approaching his 80s. His head was encased in a clear plastic bubble, which was needed because more than half the man's skull was missing. His brain and all its bloody attachments were still pumping away, and the body was breathing. It was not the view of the open skull that had made her nauseated. It was the face of the man himself. It was President John F. Kennedy. I wish I wouldn't have read over your shoulder. I saw that at the end. (laughs) Jesus. Is his brain the supercomputer? No, he is. It is a very quickly explained that he is one of the things that like they have all of these fake very shocking experiments oh, in here I so see. that if people find their way into here they can show them these fake things and then send them out into the world so like all of the like national enquirer headlines yes are from people who have stumbled their way into this place that's kind of funny but very dumb yeah um, but then here's another thing is they talk about like, um, how all of this has cost billions and billions of dollars. And so all of this government funding is going to creating this nonsense so that if someone happens to stumble into this facility, they can distract them and discredit them so that the, the country doesn't find out what they're actually doing. Um, what they've actually done is they've found UFOs. Hold on. I have to find... um, I love that they're like, we should create a convincing mock-up of President John F. Kennedy so that anybody who finds it seems crazy. And then somebody's like, we could just build a fence. And they're like, no. No. John F. Kennedy. We can't do that. So they have found fragments of UFOs throughout the years. And they have learned that the UFOs are made of time-reversing material. So... The metals are getting younger, and so they figured out how to determine their date of origin by doing some reverse calculations. 
so they can predict when these materials were manufactured in the future. And they've determined that these materials are growing younger to a specific date. It does make and sense. And that date, Mike said, checking his wristwatch with Charlie's, is exactly seven days, seven hours, and 13 minutes from right now. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Even for War Thunder, a book about a man named Ryder Long, who is uh, such a big... War Heaven, excuse War Heaven. me. Even for a uh, book named War Heaven that stars a man named Ryder Long that has such a big cock, he has to be sent on secret missions specifically because of it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. It's counting up. Like, we we counted up instead of down. And since we counted up, we got to a... Sp what the fuck does that... That doesn't make any sense. Uh, we did uh, yeah. reverse calculations on it. So now we know when it stops counting, you know, it gets to its highest number. Well, they think that it's counting down to the day of the alien invasion. It's it's pretty cool. We only have, we still have like a hundred pages left in this book. Maybe um, even more. Yeah, don't worry. I I cruised through them pretty quickly because I noticed. this book is insane. Um, so okay. They're planning... Okay, so this is when we find out what the ISC is actually doing. So what they're trying to distract from other than their alien research. They're planning on detonating a nuclear device underground very close to this facility very soon. It's all part of this grand experiment having to do with making a power source for the flying saucer up on the hangar level. They have a full flying saucer. They're trying to make power for it. Um, so that it, they can make it run. So they just blow up a bomb. So they're going to blow up a bomb. Releasing all of the energy. Well, they're going to blow up a bomb with all of the gold from Fort Knox also in the room to make super gold, which is what charges the UFO. <laughs> they stole all the gold from Fort Knox. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that part. They stole all the gold from Fort Knox. And they're gonna blow it up with a nuclear it's bomb to make the, super gold. It's the super gold that's getting me. You know, <laughs> Damn it, Johnson! I need this gold super. What the fuck is going on? Uh, Maureen asks about the UFO. Is it real? He shrugged nervously. I have to assume it is, but I am sure that this big blast they've been preparing for will happen very, very soon. It will be detonated in a place called the black hole, and when it does, it will be impossible to get out of here. That's why I have to go right now. So, so that's the, like, the big government plan that they're trying to cover up. So they're going to blow up a nuclear bomb underground to irradiate gold and make it super gold. So that they can power a flying saucer. Yeah, but... The, made out of material that ages backwards. Yeah, but uh, uh, they can't leave after they've done it? Because everything's going to blow up. Like the flying saucer? Yeah. Then what are they powering if it blows I up? I don't know, man. Oh my god, this sucks balls. You're you're, you're using fridge take, logic. Take me back. To, nice. Take me back to the days of DNA infested spider women or something. Whatever was going on there. <laughs> At least that was simple. I knew where I stood with webs coming out of a butthole. Oh, gross. Um, <sighs> this is this is not related to the plot, but this is just something extremely nineties. Maureen knew next to nothing about electronic machinery. The clock on her VCR had <laughs> blinked 12 o'clock since the day she bought it. A cassette of songs by her favorite country and western group, country the Tennessee Saints, had been stuck in her car's tape player for almost a year, playing continuously but impossible to eject. She even had trouble rewinding her telephone answering machine. And if that is not quaintly 90s, I don't know what is. Please tell me that the supercomputer, they're like, 
Yes, it's a supercomputer. It has six gigabytes. I don't think they. I don't think they gave a specific size, but they did. Oh. Like it takes up an entire room. Oh, so like eight gigabytes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Nice. Um. Here's the thing that they've figured out about this UFO. At least the, they and and the, the giant supercomputer told them this. What the Cray told them finally was that flying saucers aren't space vehicles at all. They're time machines. And so that's why they want to make the UFO work because it's a time machine. So that they can go get JFK's actual body. I guess so? <laughs> man, I thought Area 9 or whatever was going to be the most nonsensical thing where a man got shot out of a helicopter and blew up a different helicopter, mm-hmm. but no, you you win. It gets even better. Maureen was stunned. Time machines? But what's even more important, the young man went on, the Cray declared that the beings that pilot UFOs, the beings that build them, aren't space aliens at all. Yeah. That's the myth. Then what are they? The young man looked at her for a long moment. The reality is that they are us they are human beings from another time. Yeah. Pretty, was that not exciting. obvious as soon as it was a time machine? Um, so, twist ending. Does it turn out that this is just one more in the long list of things that they're telling her to discredit her? And it turns out that they, they're actually, their secret secret mission is just to suppress the electric car. <laughs> um, no, I'll get there. Oh. So, one of the good ish military guys drops a zoot bomb to try to prevent the real bomb from going off thinking that the zoot bomb would disable all of the technology and make the real bomb not happen but the real bomb still happens but it's all underground so everything's fine except for you know groundwater and uh the isc escapes with all of the gold so apparently the gold didn't blow up and turn into super gold they oh, no. escape with it all um, then in the end, it's this whole thing of like, was this all actually a drill the whole time? Was this the most elaborate of war, war heaven? heaven? Yeah. And then they talk about like all the, it was like $35 billion that was wasted with this thing. And what a, what a whole mess. Um, the last Relatively page, cheap for the military. Honestly. honestly, it's like one F-35. That's like half a year of their funding. Um, <laughs> no, that's like. We got $747 billion. Oh, I thought it was $74 billion. Okay, well, that's a huge bummer. Um, This is the last paragraph. So during, remember his partner, DJ Woody? Yeah. That was the last name of Woody? DJ Woody. Ryder Long and DJ Woody. Uh, His partner, DJ Woody, disappears. Do they open a strip club after they get out of the service? (laughs) His partner, DJ Woody, disappears during this mission. And so he he is missing, presumed dead. So at the very end, Ryder is at his front door and Woody rings the bell, um, talks to him for a little bit. And then is like, I really can't stay. I got to go. Like, best regards, whatever. I just wanted to tell you that I was okay. So he follows him to the door and watches him walk away. Staring out onto this lawn, he saw the flying saucer, the same one he'd seen projected during the ECC mission. Woody and the other man were just walking up into it when Woody turned around, gave him a quick salute, and then disappeared inside the huge disc. Then, without a noise or even a rustling of the breeze, the saucer suddenly shot straight up into the night sky, up so far he could hardly see it, and then it blinked out. 
So it was real. So it is real, and his friend and partner Woody is in it. Oh, he's going to go back to the uh, drop-off. Does DJ Woody become the time criminal from Aquila? Oh my god. That would be the most incredible mashup of all time. DJ Woody, the if time DJ criminal. DJ Woody became the time criminal. Just dropping off cars in Rome. So, just one more for the road. Here's some more planes. Oh, good. <laughs> the Piper Cub. We're just going to fade out on this one. The AHIWC Cobra. The M1AI Blue something. The 727, the DC-10, the 747 Jumbo Jet, the F-50 Aggressor, the UH-60 Blackhawk, the KC-10 Aerial Tanker, the C-119, the SH-60B Seahawk, and the CH-47 Chinook.